Hi, everyone. This is Addie from Essential NPCs. I just wanted to let you all know that there are some sound issues with the first part of Words with a GM. Tommy's mic, unbeknownst to us, cut out, but never fear, it does come back about halfway through. We are aware of the problem, but unfortunately, this close to production, we can't go back and fix it. We are aware of the issue, and hopefully you guys can still understand what he's saying. And as always, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to contact us on any of our social media sites or on our website, www.essentialnpcs.com. And enjoy the episode. This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Welcome to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Addie. And I'm Tommy. And you're listening to Series 8, Episode 3, The Wayward Path. And let's start it off with an announcement. For those of you who support us on Patreon, yesterday we dropped a new bonus episode led by none other than Dan Barron, and it's exclusive to our Patreon uh, supporters. So for those of you who support us, you can head over to uh, our Patreon page and uh, take a listen to this all new uh, campaign that we've started. Uh, and for those of you who might not know that we have a Patreon, uh, you can go check it out and maybe support the podcast. Every dollar donated helps a great deal. It's the only way we can keep the podcast going. So we appreciate everyone who helps out. Again, you can find it at patreon.com slash essential NPCs. And that's all we have for announcements. So let's move on into Words with a GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. Hello. Uh, this Words with a GM. Hello. Is about Series 8, Episode 2, The Hydean Underground. So we had a bit of a time jump, which was cool. It was really cool to see the way that um, all of the characters sort of like were changed and shaped by what happened in the first episode. Yeah, actually, we made the characters with the intention of playing them just a few years after Order 66. Uh, so this is the first time we're actually playing them as the as the characters they were intended to be. Um, episode one was just like a glimpse at their past. And Making characters in this system is tons of fun. There's so many options because there's so many books dedicated to this system. For one thing, there's uh, three core books. There's Age of Rebellion, Edge of the Empire, and Force and Destiny. Uh, And almost every career path, which is kind of like a class in this system, uh, has its own uh, source book that adds even more options just for them. Now, of course, when playing this system, you don't have to buy all of these books. You don't even have to buy all three core books. In fact, Age of Rebellion, Edge of the Empire, and Force and Destiny, in a lot of ways, mirror each other. They have the same core rules. Their page layout is almost exactly the same, (laughs) with just like small variants. But they each kind of uh, hit a specific theme within the Star Wars universe. Uh, Age of Rebellion centers around the fight against the Empire. You know, all the classes in there and all the talents and, and lore has to do with being agents of the Rebellion. Uh, Edge of the Empire is all about being like on the outskirts, you know, the smugglers, the bounty hunters, you know, the, the scum and villainy of Star Wars that we all know and love. 
And then uh, Force and Destiny uh, really expands on the Force rules, adds a lot more Force powers, and then has a ton of like Jedi archetypes that you can choose from. Uh, and besides all the different class options, uh, the only real difference in these three books is a thematic mechanic you tie to your character at character creation. Uh, in Age of Rebellion, there's a mechanic called duty, uh, which is all about, you know, your your duty to the rebellion, you know, against the Empire. And when you achieve missions for the rebellion, your duty goes up more. Uh, you're more in it, you're, you're more inspired by the uh, rebellion, and you can spend this duty almost like a currency to get gear from the rebellion. Like, well, you know, we need a ship. Remember all these missions we did? La, la, la. And if your duty's high enough, they might say yes. Edge of the Empire has a thing called obligation, which is more of a negative thing than duty. You know, once you get in with criminal elements, it's hard to get out. And the more you immerse yourself in the criminal underworld, the more your obligation goes up. Uh, Sometimes these are just, uh, these are self-imposed obligations. Other times they're like outward obligations, like flat out having a debt to a large hut, for instance, or (laughs) having a big bounty on your head. Like, and they're things that can like end up being bad. They're, They're stressors that your character has. The, you know, the thing that, like, if you could just get this obligation out of the way, you could get out of the criminal underworld. Um, and it doesn't really work like a currency as much as it works like a reputation. If you have a high enough obligation, certain criminal uh, elements will be more willing to meet with you because they've heard of you. Uh, and then in Force and Destiny, you have... Uh, a thing called morality. And it really only affects Force users. It implements penalties for when they tap into the dark side of the Force and gives them rewards for when they uh, when they refuse to give in to that temptation. All of this is to say that you don't have to use any one of these three books or even the combination of all three of these books to play this, the Fantasy Flight Star Wars RPG. You can pick one. You can be like, look, we're all just going to be rebels or we're all going to be smugglers or we're going to do a Jedi campaign. Like, that's fine. And, and they and they encourage it even within the books. However, if you are combining all the different books, you really got to decide which of these kind of thematic mechanics you want to add to your game because uh, it really shapes your campaign. Because if you have duty, then obviously your campaign has to do with the rebellion. And if you're choosing obligation, then obviously you're going to have ties to the criminal underworld. The the exception to this rule is, of course, morality, because uh, I am of the opinion that if you have people who want to be like force users, you should implement the morality system. It's an equalizing element uh, to using the force. If you don't have the morality system, uh, then your players can tap into the dark side of the force with little to no penalty. For our game, we decided to go with Obligation. Part of that had to do with the setting. Uh, it's not until several years from now that like, uh, the Rebellion is what we know in the movies or even the animated series. Now, we could have gone with Duty because they are tied to the Hydean Underground. We could have kind of like made the Hydean Underground a pseudo-rebellion. Uh, but we chose not to go with that because instead we, we decided to go with Obligation. Because, you know, we thought in order to survive after Order 66, these four characters would have had to rely on the criminal underworld to protect them. Uh, and so we really quickly wanted to share with you guys what everyone's obligation is. The reason for this is at the beginning of 
every session, the GM rolls some dice, and there's a chance that someone's obligation comes into play. Uh, their strain level goes down because they're currently preoccupied and stressed about what their obligation is, and then also uh, it has a higher chance of coming into the game narratively. The GM is encouraged to uh, to provide opportunities for that player to engage with their obligation. Uh, so we wanted you to know what everyone's obligation was so that when it or so that you can kind of see as it comes into play. Uh, starting with Tan. Tan's obligation is betrayal. After being a slave and the events of Order 66, she has some pretty serious trust issues. <laughs> um, Jack Samars is the obligation oath. Uh, he has an overwhelming sense of responsibility uh, to fulfill his oath that he made to his fallen friend, Dudo Nuem, uh, to train Elkiri and keep the and keep the legend of the Jedi alive. Elkiri has the obligation favor because shortly after the events of Order 66, Elkiri reached out to an unsavory contact of hers from during the Clone Wars, who is a slicer and forger, who was able to help them hide and create fake IDs for them. Uh, this man trades in favors instead of credits, so she just kind of perpetually owes him one. <laughs> and that can be stressful. Uh, and finally, uh, Oko has the obligation obsession. Uh, over the course of his very strange life as a droid, he has become become obsessed with organics uh, and the way they think and the way they feel and uh, and he wants to continue to explore that uh, and sometimes that can cause uh, that can cause problems and deter him from focusing on the task at hand and the cool thing about obligations is they don't even have to be rolled at the beginning of the session for players to uh, to interact with them a lot of times it can give players a real sense of who their character is and they can lean into those obligations even when it's not explicitly required to by the rules of the game yeah i'm sure it won't come up yeah none of them will come up yeah no, not at all mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah so uh i think that paints a really good picture of sort of the beginnings of character creation so tell me tommy what was your favorite part of the last episode oh definitely the introduction of reaper squad when i was creating that encounter i was thinking okay well they're gonna jump away really quick but the thing that was bothering me was i was trying to figure out how you guys would kind of know what you are up against besides just a star destroyer jumps out and shoots at you you get away goodbye and then it kind of hit me uh this is the empire we're talking about they're going to announce themselves they're going to say their rank they're going to say under whose authority they're operating under they're going to paint the whole friggin' picture for you not possibly thinking that you're going to get away and be able to use that information to figure out what you're up against uh which of course is what i wanted to give you players or give you guys as players i wanted you to know what you were up against after this encounter uh so i was really really glad when that when that kind of clicked for me and i was like oh yeah cool she's just going to hail you and give you everything you need to know to figure out who these people are. Yeah, hopefully the uh, Empire's hubris will also be their downfall. <laughs> uh, what about you? What was your favorite part? Tan versus trash can. <laughs> Uh, that rubbish bin had it coming. Uh, the entire first like couple of scenes uh, were great and uh, and it just really culminated in sort of the like drunken street brawl with an inanimate object that I just love. So uh, I love those moments. Yeah, it, it did do a really good job of letting you know that uh, time had passed and Tan was dealing with the trauma that had happened in her own way. 
But uh, we've talked at you for long enough. Uh, you guys are out in the middle of nowhere uh, with half a plan to get Sucra Esto to his new safe home. So without further ado, let's go ahead and listen to Series 8, Episode 3, The Wayward Path. Enjoy! I am Jaxamar Sorrell, human Jedi Sentinel. My Padawan training was patrolling the slums of Coruscant, rooting out the vicious gangs and bringing them to justice. With the guidance of Master Lewitt Rensmer, I learned to rely on my cunning to solve problems, passing my trials, diffusing a hostage crisis the day the Clone Wars began. At the height of the war, I was called to the front lines alongside my oldest friend Dudo and his Padawan Elkiri. The idea of the Jedi as generals never sat well with me, and my greater fears were realized when the clones turned on us, and Dudo sacrificed himself so we could survive. His final wish was for me to take up the task of training Elkiri. With the destruction of the Order, it falls to me to ensure the Jedi live on through her. Though my training left me a capable warrior, I've had to quickly adjust in a galaxy where a lightsaber is a beacon for the Empire's most dangerous assassins. Thankfully, we found allies in the former Republic pilot Tan Mobuk and her droid Oko. She saved us after the Empire rose to power, and her ship, the Exipiter, has been home for the last three years. The galaxy may be shrouded in darkness, but I believe the Force will guide us to a better future. The name's Mobuk, Lieutenant Tan Mobuk of the Galactic Republic Navy. Well, that's who I used to be anyway. Before all this happened, I was a slave, nearly died trying to fight my way out. And when the opportunity to join the Navy presented itself, you bet your ass I jumped like hell. Spent most of the Clone Wars chasing pirates. Found my bird, the Exhibitor, there, in fact. The up-and-ups let me keep her despite her, uh, modifications. And Oko, too. Others might just see a droid, but I know there's more under their shiny metal shell. Now, now we're just trying to survive. With Sorel and Elkiri on board, the Exhibitor will always have a target on her back. It'd have been a hell of a lot safer for us to run and hide. But safe never really was my MO. We've done some good helping out with the Hydean Underground. One day, though, I'm going to give the Empire a kick straight in the teeth for what they've done. To me, to Sorel, to Alkiri and Oko, and all the others they've crushed under their heel. They've won their war, but I've just started mine. Personal identification number 0K0, at your service. Master Tan refers to me as Oko. You may as well, there isn't much time. Please lean back, this will take your mind off the pain. I am told my past has been eventful for a droid. I was captured by roving pirates shortly after the start of the Clone Wars. They modified and reprogrammed me to accompany them on raids. My surgical laser was greatly enhanced for combat utility and I was trained in the manufacture of stimulants and toxins. Please drink this. I witnessed many gruesome sights, but also interacted with all manner of organic life, occasionally even in a non-lethal capacity. Your species is particularly fascinating. So much blood. Upon my recovery, Master Tan allowed me to retain my memory. My years with the brigands, while regrettable, had instilled in me an appreciation for freedom and autonomy, ideals shared by Master Tan. My unusual modifications, coupled with her impressive piloting abilities, served us well as a Republic emergency extraction team until the clones turned on us and our three Jedi companions. As runners in the Hydean underground, 
We do what we can to hide good people from the Empire, but nowhere is safe now. Good news, there is a 38% chance that your injuries are non-fatal. Best of luck. I am Elkiri Kanti, Padawan learner. The Force has always been with me, even in the most trying of times, and I am continually surprised by the way the Force guides us all. That it saw fit to match me with Master Jaxamar Sorrel, Sentinel, and perhaps the last Jedi Knight. Just like my late master, Duto Noem, Jaxamar and I are an unlikely pair. I've always been more inclined to talk than to fight, and he has always been the other way around. After we escaped, we turned to Rushala, an old friend of mine from early in the Clone Wars. She helped us hide from the Empire when we were in need, and now, along with her, we formed the Hydean Underground to help save those who are under the thumb of, or worse, enslaved by the Empire. There's no war that can be waged against the Empire. The best we can do is to save those we can and avoid any engagement with the Empire's forces. I must admit, I can sense the apprehension grow in me as we approach every new rescue for the Hydean Underground. But with Master Sorel, Tan, and Oko working beside me, and the Force with us, the Empire will never know we're coming. The last time we left the Excipiter, they had picked up a runaway slave from the Empire uh, named Sucra Esto. They had to dodge around some Imperial uh, checkpoints uh, to get him off of the planet Terrace, and then they made their way towards the next and final transfer point for Sucra. Uh, There they found the ship they were supposed to be making the transfer with disabled and unoccupied, Um, and then they were ambushed by a Vigil-class Corvette Star Destroyer that immediately locked them in a tractor beam, and began to send TIE fighters out to completely disable them. Uh, luckily, they were able to destroy the tra- or disable the tractor beam long enough to launch themselves into hyperspace and get away. Um, and they are now um, plotting their, their new course, taking it upon themselves to take Sucra Esto to his final destination on the planet of Shafus. So it is going to be a hard astrogation check to plot a previously uncharted course uh, through hyperspace to avoid any Imperial patrols and get Sucra to the planet of Shafus, which lies in the Outer Rim. Uh, I'll make the check. I will assist from the co-pilot seat. Okay. That's one success and one advantage. So it will uh, it will take some time to get there, especially because you guys are taking possibly the most roundabout way to get there. But it is the only way to ensure that you will not run into any more Imperial patrols. Meanwhile, uh, El Kiri, you look at the coordinates that you guys are doing, and you see what um, Stello the Hut uh, was referring to when she said um, that your we'll call him contact, not friend, uh, Pep Dantor, uh, who is a slicer and master forger, who actually provided the fake IDs you're currently using. You you know that he has some kind of, uh, on the planet of Bolea, holdings there, some kind of secret holdings, um, uh, which is good because uh, you guys are going to be out of fuel before you can make it all the way to the planet Shafis, so you do have to make a pit stop. 
pretty early into your transit, uh, Stello the Hut contacts uh, you, Jaxamar. I answer it. Are you in the cockpit or, or in the... Uh... We're just in hyperspace, right? Yep. Probably making dinner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you set the hollow projector uh, on the counter next to you in the galley. And uh, uh, on the countertop there, the unappetizing image of Stella the Hutt uh, appears, puppy, uh, puffing on her, uh, on her hookah as she always is. She breathes out a gout of smoke and says, Oh, Jax, my sweet boy, you've gotten yourself into some heavy weather now. That special forces squad that you uh, ran into, Reaper Squad, uh, it's one of the crowning achievements of the Empire's war engine. They've been on active duty for about a year now, and uh, in that year, they've caused all manner of trouble. Honestly, if they weren't Imperial, I'd probably like them. All their troopers, highly decorated, and very loyal to the cause. Uh, the commander, um, uh, Rissa Am- uh, Anaro, uh, she grew up an orphan and was scooped up right up for the Stormtrooper program. Graduated top of her class in every category at the Aotan Academy. And uh, these days, she's a bit of a poster girl for the military. Next, they have uh, uh, Mira Elson. She's uh, an ace pilot holding some of the Imperial Navy's Starfighter class records. That explains the Interceptor. If rumors are to be believed, which in my experience, there's always a little bit of truth to them, uh, she once took down a pirate cruiser on a solo run just flying a standard TIE fighter. No no bells or whistles. Then uh, another member of that squad is uh, Eula Lowlin. She's a pinpoint shot with just about any blaster, just about any range. If she's on the same planet as you, honey, you're too close for comfort. Uh, and then the last one they have is uh, Magana Disc. She's a demolitions and tech specialist who could put a Mandalorian to shame with the amount of destruction linked to her name. Uh, apparently, the Imperial Navy is, is naming a new model of torpedoes after her. I'm surprised you guys made it out. I mean, I'm glad. I'm very glad. But uh, uh, they're supposed to have a pretty good record. They're going to uh, have, have it in for you, that's for sure. Looks like there's a rough road ahead of us. Well, you know, I'm sure you'll come out on top. You always do. You guys are survivors. Oh, uh, the 77th Task Force, yeah? The details to that are still a little elusive for me. But from what I can tell, it's some sort of specialized anti-piracy fleet. It's run by Admiral Rothella Kenton. Uh, Kenton is Reaper Squad's primary handler. She's weaponized them to great benefit for her career. Before any of this task force business, Kenton was the commander of, uh, of that corvette you crossed. Uh, it's called the Bloodhound. But after a successful tour in the rest western regions, pacifying the last of the, or some of the separatist strongholds there, uh, she got promoted to Admiral and took command of an Imperial-class Star Destroyer, handing off command of the, uh, the Bloodhound to uh, Reaper Squad. Look, if you ask me, with enemies like this, I think the Hydean Underground may need to pack it in soon. That's disappointing to hear, Stello. But if your information is accurate, and it always is. Oh, you flatter me, darling. These are high odds we're up against. Yeah, I wouldn't bet a micro credit on it. Thank you for the information, Stella. It's much appreciated, even if it is unpleasant. I don't like being the bearer of bad news, but I do like seeing your face. I just smile back at her. She, like tongues her pipe over to the other part of her mouth and she goes call me again soon and i'll let you know if i if anything else comes up if i get any more information i appreciate it uh i i share all of that with the rest of the crew as i lay out dinner that i've made to try and promote crew harmony (laughs) 
it's a bit of a tense meeting at dinner. Uh, El Kiri and um, Tan kind of fuming at each other a little bit still. So why is it that you organics enjoy certain combinations of proteins and sugars and not others? I don't know, Elko. Hmm. Some things simply taste good. Intriguing. Surely there's some equivalent for droids. I'm going to go check on our drop points. I head towards the cockpit. So are we calling him or not? You seem troubled, Elkiri. Is something wrong? Nope. I just need to know what we're doing. Tan is upset. She lashed out at you. I suspect her words come from anger and not reason. You have been a valuable member of this crew for some time, Elkiri. Even with our unsavory position with Pep, the supplies and resources we've secured from him over time were absolutely necessary to our survival. I wish you had shared the details of the deal sooner, but in your position, I likely would have made the same choice. I appreciate that. I'm sorry I lost control of my emotions. I should have been more in balance. We all struggle, Elkiri. It is what comes after that struggle that matters. It was a heated conversation and upsetting. But now we have a man whose life is in our hands, and we must help. To do that, we need the supplies that Pep has. I just, I, her anger, it like lashes out like a fist. And I don't know, I don't know what to do. And I recoil in a way I... Compassion. Always remember, compassion is the way of the Jedi. I'll go call Pep. <laughs> you are doing well, Elkiri. Remember that as well. Okay, you go into your quarters, pull up your uh, hollow projector, set it on the table, sit down across from it, take a deep breath, and you call Pep Dantor. And Pep appears right there in front of you on the table. Uh, he is a... Handsome Corellian man uh, with sandy black hair uh, that just has some hints of gray. And uh, his jawline is peppered with, uh, with just a light amount of stubble. His, uh, his green eyes light up when he sees you. And uh, he says, El Kiri Canty, as I live and breathe, to what do I owe the pleasure? Pep, it's been too long. We're out near the Balea sector, and I thought I might check in, see if you've got anything that I could help you out with and, and return for perhaps a little bit of fuel. Bolea, <laughs> you are out there in the boondocks, aren't you? Another one of your do-gooder crusades, I take it? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I might just have a safe haven in that area, and I also might just be able to help you. But, of course, we both know your line of work, more often than not, pays out in good feelings and clear consciences, neither of which I deal in. But you are in luck. My station on Bolea uh, has actually had some issues in the, uh, in the recent past. Uh, first and foremost, that it hasn't been staffed in months. Uh, last I heard, it was having some mechanical issues. Now, I can foot the bill for any supplies the station needs as long as you and your team get it fully operational again. I want to see those credits coming back from there. Though, uh, if I'm being honest, the cost of this kind of labor doesn't really compare to the cost of fuel that far in out into the outer rim. So I can just add the remainder on your tab, shall I? 
uh, he is mechanically offering you uh, more obligation right. uh, in lieu of asking for you to do more. Pep, I think the uh, ongoing income would probably suit you just fine if you can't get this up and running with the resources you have. I think the long-term investment is probably equitable to just a little bit of fuel. Oh, Ellie, you wound me. I have the resources to get it up and running again. I'm just a busy man. Uh, the, the money that comes from this place is trickling at best. Uh, I'm interested in it, sure, but honestly, I'm the one doing you the favor here. But let's, you know, call it a, a convenience tax. What do you say? Uh, you can roll an opposed negotiation check of a daunting difficulty with three challenge dice. So uh, because of my congenial nature and uh, I take a strain but downgrade the difficulty um, and then, of course, uh, because of my ability to sense emotions, even from long range, micro expressions, uh, <laughs> I get a boost as well. Okay. So that's a despair <laughs> and two advantages. Uh, well, okay. Well, since you're wanting to milk this deal for all it's worth, I suppose we can make this mutually beneficial for both of us. If I recall, you're traveling around with a, uh, pretty handy and intelligent Kaminoan medical droid, correct? They are part of the ship's complement. Well, uh, this facility I have here, uh, does happen to refine compounds used in both medicines and other things. Should your droid be able to increase my profit by, oh, let's say 20% uh, from that facility, you know, kind of really give it a once over. I haven't had an expert look at it in a while, and I feel like maybe I should be able to get a little more. Uh, if your droid can pull that off, we'll call it an, an even trade. And uh, if I'm being truly honest, uh, Elkiri, I did see something come up on the uh, Imperial Data Core a little bit ago. Might have something to do with this uh, ship you're on being flagged for, what does it say? And he like, you see him mess around in the, in the hollow uh, for a second, uh, making a show of it. And he goes, ah, that's right. Aiding and abetting fugitives and uh, open, uh, open treason. Now they got a little bit of, uh, of your serial number uh, and, and they know your call sign, the exhibitor. And well, I could uh, maybe make that go away. Well, of course I'd be interested in that. You're, such a good friend to me, Pep. Well, let's, let's, let's be fair. I think we're lucky to have each other. Of course. Excellent. So uh, as soon as I see those credits coming my way from that facility, I will work my magic and make your Imperial Troubles disappear. I'll let you know when we have a list of supplies you'll need. I look forward to the call. And he hangs up. Oh, no. Uh, when Elkiri went to go make that call, I went to the cockpit to talk to Tan. Okay. I shut a drawer really quickly. Uh, I shut the door to the cockpit behind me. This can't continue, Tan. What was your plan to get off of Terrace? We had to go then. We went then. We went then because Elkiri was there to talk you through an Imperial checkpoint. What was your plan otherwise? I don't have any issue with leaving when we did. But we were set up, Sorel, by somebody... You don't care about that? Of course I care about that, Tan. What bothers me is you're lashing out at your allies. 
And I understand maybe you don't trust Rishala or Stella, but Elkiri has done nothing but help. And I would like to point out, when we found you on Terrace, when we needed to go then, you were drunk on the ground fighting a trash can. I was fine. You were not fine, Tan. You were losing a fight to a trash can. (laughs) (laughs) We don't really know where we're going. We don't know who else our allies are. We're going to have to deal with this Pip again. I just, I want to feel like I can trust her. But the last time she did this, she made all the decisions on her own. Is that how a team is supposed to work? You don't repair trust by lashing out at anger against actions made in good faith. I don't believe it was the right call for Elkiri to conceal this from us earlier. It's certainly not my first choice to deal with the likes of Pep Dantor. And given other options, I would choose them. But that's not the galaxy we live in, Tan. And you have to accept that. You know I know that. Then act like it. And I leave. Meanwhile, down in the cargo hold, during this journey, Oko, you have, I assume, been working on patching up the hole damage that the exhibitor sustained? Yes. Pretty quickly into that process, early into this trip, uh, Sukra made himself indispensable to you. He admits to you that he doesn't know much. He's never been given a formal education, but there's, there's one thing that he's always been good with, and it's machines. And uh, he will assist you in patching up anything you got going. Um, So when you roll to patch up whatever you're patching up, uh, you can use his mechanics skill of four. So I guess we still need to repair that other critical hit. Yep. Uh, And this is going to be a hard mechanics check. Uh, Using your intellect of four and uh, Sukra's mechanics skill of four. Three successes, including a triumph. So... uh, With that triumph, um, you and Sukura actually find a pretty creative way to repurpose uh, some some excess paneling in the cargo hold to uh, patch up some of this damage. Um, It's hard to do in flight, but it goes relatively uh, well, and you don't have to use up some of your more expensive supplies. And then also... uh, the Excipiter, in conjunction with repairing its critical hit, will also heal two whole. Excellent work, Master Esto. Oh, please, don't don't call me Master. Uh, also, just call me Sukra. Yes, Master Sukra. <laughs> I appreciate you letting me help. Uh, it's always been easier for me to function when I, when I have something to do with my hands. There is no connection between emotional trauma and manual dexterity. he laughs at that and it's the first time you've seen him smile let alone laugh and he goes i like you oko you're a good person thank you and he kind of places his hand on your shoulder strangely there's no reason why he does it he doesn't do anything when he does he just puts it there for a second uh and then like kind of pats it and goes uh uh, let me know if uh if if you need a hand with anything else i'm gonna go get some shut eye Understood. Uh, El Curi, you are sent a little uh, file from Pep uh, that shows you where on the planet of Bolea uh, his facility is and the optimal route to get there. I say that because uh, the planet of Bolea is a jungle planet, and apparently to get there without drawing attention, you have to fly underneath the canopy of the trees a little bit. 
So I'll, I'll hit the ship intercom. Mission brief in five for anyone who wants to come. Oko, uh, Suka pokes his head out from the med bay and goes, does that include me? I mean, I'd like to come. <laughs> We're in this position to keep you safe until we reach the other destination. I can ask Captain Tan, but I imagine she'll want you to stay on board. No, I mean, I don't know about... I'm just talking about this this briefing, this meeting that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't see why not. All right. Well, uh, let's go then. <laughs> and he, he lets you lead the way. And Elkiri is waiting in the lounge, yeah. I assume? Tan hovers outside in the hall for a minute, and then she heads in. I heard back from our contact with the coordinates for where... We can get fuel dropped. As you know, he takes payment in kind rather than in credits. So uh, the drop is also a facility that's um, been underutilized recently. And so we're just going to get it right back up in tip-top shape, and we won't owe him anything else for the fuel. So it's probably, and I shoot like a little bit of a stare, like a side eye to Sucra and then another one to Tan and be like, I'm pretty sure it's a pharmaceutical facility. We're not paying for any of the supplies. We just, we just have to get it working. Repairs in return for what we need for the exhibitor seems like a good trade. I agree. Also, there might be a second thing. <laughs> Tan looks at Jaxamar pointedly. I continue to look calmly at Elkiri, <laughs> <laughs> having expected the second thing. <laughs> they, the Imperials, flagged our ship and got our the second half of our cereal. Peps offered to take care of it if we could take care of this facility. This is not my first choice. If anyone has other options, I would much rather do something else. Otherwise, this seems to be our only path. I think the only other path is to sell the ship and get a new one, which I don't think we want to do. This is our home. It's hard to imagine a ship more equipped to deal with what's after us. I defer to you, Master Tan. I am prepared to repair this facility to the best of our abilities. 20%. (laughs) (laughs) I am more optimistic. I believe... We have an 80 to 90% chance of repairing this facility. <laughs> oh, good. That's not what I meant. Oh. <laughs> Sounds like Oko's on board. So am I. Good job, Canty. And she walks out. Uh, I turn to Sucra and uh, welcome. And I give him like sort of like a shrug and a smile. Uh, any, any way I can, I can be helpful. Uh, Oko can attest I'm, uh, I'm pretty good with machinery. Maybe I can help get this place up and running it it can't be too hard right i imagine there's a reason it was abandoned but hopefully we can deal with that i'm sure we can handle whatever comes our way uh also you don't have to sleep in the med bay we have a passenger berth isn't Uh, that where you sleep when we don't have passengers i'm all right i i like the humming of the engines tan is uh waiting for oko in the med bay master tan do you need medical attention? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Oko. Are you good with this, really? It's what the exhibitor requires. Yeah, but 
What about you? Uh, Master Okiri has made it sound a fairly straightforward task. Okay. Just remember, you don't have to do anything because it's required. All right? If we have to find another way, if something happens, then we figure it out. All right? Understood. And you guys set course for Bolea? Yeah, once we get closer, I will find Tan. I um, I got these coordinates and a flight path. Apparently, it's really the only way to get through. I'm sure you can handle it, but I thought it might be easier if you actually, if I gave these to you. So, would you would you like the flight path? Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. She she plugs it into the computer and she takes a look and she's like. <laughs> This is going to be great. Yeah, a tight fit doesn't quite describe it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thanks, Elkiri. You're welcome. I meant it. Good, good job. I know he's a tough negotiator. So am I, sometimes. Tan pops an eyebrow. Um, does anyone have uh, Outer Rim as a knowledge skill? Not specifically, but nope. I'm very smart. <laughs> um, uh, in that case, uh, Oko, you could roll a daunting education check to know a little more about the planet of Bolea. Oh, and you can get a boost because you have like time to like look it up on the hollow net a little bit. Two outstanding failures with one threat. Okay. Yeah, so looking it up on the on the hollow net, you realize there's not a whole lot on it. It's a, a pretty out of the way planet. You get just like some some standard readings uh, on it which uh, indicates that it is an incredibly hot jungle planet. Um, and due to that, it um, uh, seems like most of the, uh, uh, the cities um, and towns are on the north and south poles, which are still very warm, very hot, but uh, the equator is absolutely just uninhabitable because of the heat. And that's, uh, that's all you're, you're quite able to find out. All right. Uh, as you guys drop out of uh, hyperspace, Tan, following uh, the instructions uh, given to you by Pep, uh, you approach the planet near the equator, um, uh, putting the shields up uh, to combat the heat from the nearby sun. And uh, uh, in doing so, you limit the potential for anyone to see you approaching the planet because there's no civilization except for on the north and south poles. Uh, and then you get nice and low into the jungle and basically following a series of, uh, of like river paths, uh, you have just enough room to squeeze your way through, uh, up to the Northern parts of the planet. Uh, you do have to like duck completely under the canopy and you, you realize that like once you duck under the canopy, all your sensors kind of indicate that the temperature drops, uh, not to like a cool temperature, but from like 110 to like 75 degrees. It makes it actually somewhat like, livable underneath the, the, the canopy of these large, arcing, uh, very full uh, trees. And I'm going to need a, an average piloting check with a setback uh, in order for you to navigate the forest paths uh, all the way to this hidden hangar uh, near the northern pole of Bolea. I will co-pilot and assist. You get a boost for that. It is one success with a triumph and an advantage. Nice. So um, 
you actually kind of move at a higher speed than most pilots would dare to in these conditions. Jacksmar, you're in the uh, in the uh, the co-pilot seat, and you've been flying with Tan for some time. You know she likes to play things pretty razor close to the edge, but even this is a little intense. Uh, you think she might just be blowing off a little bit of steam by uh, by putting the acceleration up just like an extra 10%. But you are stunned to watch that. Not only does she perfectly navigate this like she's done it a hundred times, uh, she doesn't touch a single tree or knock over a single branch doing so. There's even a point where the path that you're given is slightly uh, outdated and the tree has like overgrown a little ways to block and she manages to like skim down splashing up some water as she does from the river uh, and then pull right up to avoid uh, a rock outcropping uh, to continue going not leaving a, a trackable trail in the jungle whatsoever that a starship just flew through. That was impressive, even for you, Tan. Thanks. Uh, and uh, you say this, uh, and a little bit cocky, uh, Tan turns away, not watching where she's going, to say thanks. <laughs> and you see as she is flying directly at a waterfall. Uh, and she, uh, she says thanks and pulls, uh, pulls back on the throttle, reversing the thrusters, as she splashes through this waterfall into, uh, into a hidden hangar base and just parks the occipiter right there. God, I love doing that. <laughs> More people should have their hangers behind waterfalls. <laughs> you can say one thing about Pep Dantor. He has style. So judging by the scans uh, and the information off the, the holonet, uh, it seems this hangar is uh, probably off the books. Uh, it is just a few miles away from a uh, relatively industrialized uh, city on the northern pole of Bolea. The, the hangar area seems capable of housing uh, up to three to four ships of basically the largest one, the largest size being the size of the Exhibitor. And uh, along the sides of the hangar, there are uh, workbenches and a large uh, gated inset in the wall that is full of fuel, fuel canisters. Opposite the waterfall entrance uh, on the other side of the hangar, uh, there are two double, double doors right in the middle of a windowed wall that leads to the information control center of this uh, facility. We head out towards, I assume, the information control center. Okay. Sucra follows along. Uh, you guys walk into the ICC, uh, and it has an elevated circular hollow display uh, in the center, a large table um, that is currently powered down completely. Uh, and there are three banks of data terminals on the non-windowed uh, walls of the, of the square room. Uh, flanking the terminal that is on the far wall as you enter in, uh, there are two different sets of doors. Continuing in and just kind of getting the lay of the land, uh, the left door leads to kind of a barracks-like sleeping area, you know, bunk beds, uh, all everyone in the same room. And then uh, backing up and going through the door that's on the right, uh, it leads to three smaller rooms. There is a, 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 a rudimentary lounge slash kitchen, a communal refresher with open showers, and a storage closet uh, that has a heavily fortified door that you imagine is probably the uh, exit to the ground level uh, to go to the uh, surface of the planet. The station is completely shut down. Um, it's not running at all, nothing humming, uh, kind of eerily quiet. The only sound is the rushing, echoing sound of the waterfall in the hangar. Is the fortified door locked? Uh, yes, yeah. I mean, you guys can unlock it from this side, but it is, like, very, very secure. Great. Is there any indication as we walk around what might have 
sent this place into shutdown? To find that out, you probably would need to uh, get the generator running again so that the uh, the ICC will boot up and you can look at some of the logs and information. So there's no physical signs of what may No, there's no here. like gunfight like signs or like any any like signs of even a struggle or anything. It's just it's clean and quiet and nothing seems to have been tampered with. Uh, to get the generator starting, which isn't hard to find, uh, the layout of this uh, facility is rather uh, intuitive. You just need to roll an average mechanics check. And uh, Sukura will assist you in that, Oko, so you can use his ranks in machinery. Three successes with two advantage. Okay, it doesn't take you very long. The advantage helps you get the job done pretty quickly. There's like a moment where like you and Sukura just kind of stand there looking at the generator for a bit. And uh, Sukura's like, what do you think? You think... Uh, arc welder there on the on the side panel and uh reroute or and bypass the uh the heat sink that is a good plan let's do it and uh and yeah you guys get to work and relatively quickly the generator starts warming up and the uh lights in the station begin turning on and uh, there's a satisfying hum as the hollow display table uh kind of glows uh a blue color and all of the data terminals start uh clicking and whirring and uh, if you want to look your way through, it is either a hard computer check or an average ed- education check uh, to process all the data given from the terminals uh, to figure out what exactly is wrong with this station, as well as its primary function. Okay, we'll make an education check. Four successes with three advantage. So not only do you are you able to um, uh, figure out pretty much everything there is to know about this station. You find uh, what you were looking for before on the Holonet, uh, a more satisfying um, logistical readout of the nature of the planet of Bolea. So starting with that, it is a hot jungle planet, and as such, the population is consolidated on the north and south poles with virtually no civilization beyond those regions. And cities are built just under the canopies of the trees. The trees have a special mutation in them that allows them to reflect a significant amount of the heat from the sun, which prevents this planet from being a volcanic planet, despite its relatively uh, close proximity to the central star of this system. And the reason the cities are built uh, so high up just under the canopy is because the planet's lush plant life and also its natural fauna are almost entirely toxic. Uh, You actually see some logs from people who stayed here working for Dantor, and most of the personal logs uh, have them complaining about how bland and repetitive the local cuisine is because so few things on this planet are not deadly. However, uh, once appropriately processed, much of the planet's naturally occurring chemical compounds have a multitude of medical uses. Uh, Because of this, a large part of the planet's uh, limited infrastructure revolves around the multiple medical processing plants that, uh, that are set up here. And looking through more of the personal logs, you see that there is, in fact, a small demand uh, on the black market for certain local samples uh, that can be used to create more recreational medicines. As for this station, it monitors the movements and communications of some of the medical company's outposts. It appears that these companies have uh, refining facilities set up in the station and several mobile droid banks uh, that kind of are designed like lumbering, flying cargo containers uh, that redeploy frequently around the planet to collect the necessary supplies. The companies send out probes uh, to survey certain areas and determine the most resource-rich areas that have the least environmental impact when they are tapped. 
Uh, and once a suitable location is found, the droid branks are given a command, move to those coordinates, and land and activate their droids. Uh, the droids then farm the area for resources for a few weeks before docking back up into their respective banks that deliver them back to the city with the supplies. Dantor appears to have a slightly more sophisticated... Uh, uh, have. Yeah. Dantor appears to have slightly more sophisticated covert droid stations set up all around the area. And this station has automated protocols that send orders to redeploy Dantor's stealth droids to those areas once the medical companies uh, identify them. And then his droids uh, steal some of the supplies out from underneath the medical company's droids. It seems that uh, the problem with the station right now uh, is that the relay that transmits the command code to Dantor's droids, which is hidden in the jungle, uh, went offline some time ago. And without anyone here to fix it, the station went into standby mode. The medicines harvested, or the, the materials harvested for the medical plants, are those larger medical companies that then make those into medicines and sell them? Yes, yeah. They're all they're all large uh, uh corporate sector based uh medical companies. If you're wondering about the morality of this, it is worth noting that um a lot of medicines, a lot of these medicines in fact are illegal for no reason on a lot of planets that uh that aren't directly supported by the empire. This planet is controlled by the empire. Got it. The, well, they're controlled by these companies which are friendly to the empire. If I were still a captive of the Umbra fleet, they would see this planet as a mint. What did you find, Naranuma? There are a large variety of toxic plants on this planet that are refined into medicines for pharmaceutical companies loyal to the Empire. It seems that Elkiri's contact, Pep Dantor, procures them before they reach their intended refineries, but his relay system is currently not operational. That is where we should begin to fulfill our end of the bargain with him reactivating these relays in the jungle. Sukra, if you don't mind, I'm sure your expertise here would be appreciated. Yeah, anything I can do to help. Uh, we're, we're all in this boat together. Is there a map of the jungle yes, stored in the databank? It's an extensive map, yeah. He's plotted this whole thing. The reason he's able to do this is because of corporate oversight. They don't really check to make sure that they get the yield that they are expecting. And his sensors have like thoroughly mapped this area. And the primary relay of the station is operational, which allows the station to automatically monitor all of the movements that the medical corporations have because Pep Dantor is a slicer and has, uh, has made it so that he gets automatic updates. The only thing that's missing is the minor relays which receive the commands from this station that give orders to Pep's hidden droid banks. Uh, how many relays are there, and how far away are they? There's actually just one primary one. That's the only one we need to That's reactivate. the only one you need to reactivate. All the other ones, I mean, you're not 100% sure. You have to reactivate that one first, but uh, judging by the logs, it would indicate that only the main one went down, and the other ones, uh, once you boot up that main one, the other ones will receive. And how far away is it? Uh, it's a decent walk away from here. Too overgrown for even Tan to take the Excipiter that way. You guys will have to move out on foot. But you can get there by, uh, before the end of the day. I suggest we see if there's any supplies here that will be useful for this journey and then head out. Are there any sort of speeders or anything in this place? No. Whoever worked here last provided apparently their own speeders and, and took them back with them. The, the, the station is, uh, by design, supposed to be automated, and uh, only sometimes does he need to send people to repair anything. More often than not, he just sends people here to pick up and leave with the supplies that the droids have picked up for or have collected for him. 
Um, however, in the uh, storage closet where the uh, where the door is, there are rebreathers that assist with preventing uh, the inhalation of toxic fumes that are prevalent on the surface of this planet, um, as well as um, there's a medical kit with um, some short-term inoculation uh, injections you can take that will uh, will assist you in um, resisting anything toxic that you come into t- contact with. Oko, is this something we should take ahead of time or after we're exposed? Uh, Oko, you would know that the inoculation injection uh, should be done before you set foot on the surface of the planet. It's to help you resist. It's not a cure. Most definitely before. Without, there is a number not found percent chance of surviving an encounter with many of the toxic plants. Okay. Can I refer to the database again? Uh, with a xenology check, see if there's any fauna we need to watch out for on this planet. Uh, yeah, you can go ahead and roll um, an average xenology uh, with a boost. Four successes, two threats. So you will take two strain as uh, everyone's getting ready to go, and you try to speed read through a lot of this, uh, you, a lot of this data. You like kind of just like shoot it into your uh, into your circuits and try to process it all as quickly as possible, and kind of overload your your memory banks just a little bit. And uh, you come up with in this region particularly um, a couple of logs from some of the people who work here, as well as just the extensive files that uh, Pep has access to with this station because he has access to a lot of the medical corporations. Uh, data. There's two local creatures um, that are particularly dangerous. Uh, One is called a jungle stalker, and one is called a jungle spitter. The jungle stalkers are a vulpine predator with coarse green fur, a fluffy double tail, and large clawed paws. The females tend to hunt in packs, while the males tend to be solitary predators. They reportedly possess a preternatural sensitivity to the force, which allows them to anticipate the movement of their prey and attack before the victim can react. And then the jungle spitters are fast-moving quadrupedal lizard, distinguished by their thick, scaly hide and venomous poison that they project into the face of their victims. They can grow up to four meters long and one meter tall and weigh as much as 90 kilograms. Despite the large size, uh, the jungle spitters are surprisingly fast, able to outrun most small and medium-sized prey. Once a jungle spitter uh, blinds its prey with its poison spit, uh, it then pounces and attacks with its massive front claws and powerful jaws. We should be careful. (laughs) (laughs) So we all inoculate ourselves and strap on rebreathers and head out into the jungle. All right. It will take a hard survival check to safely find your way to uh, the relay. You can have a boost because of the extensive studying of Pep Dantor's uh, data banks on this area and this planet. Um, however, I will flip a dark side point to upgrade the difficulty of this test. Who wants to roll the survival check? Uh, I will. I'll help you when I can with, you know, sensing things around us. Okay. That's a boost for you. That's two successes and one advantage. So anyone can use that advantage to regain a strain if they like. And, uh, you guys are able to navigate your way, uh, with the, uh, the map displayed on Oko's face. Mm -hmm. Uh, you are here and here's your destination. And uh, you guys are able to keep checking that. And uh, Jaxamar and 
Elkiri, you guys kind of take point. Uh, Elkiri, you're using your sense power to kind of get a feel for the life around you. It's teeming with life forms, uh, but you're able to kind of touch in at one point and like feel like the threat of some uh, some jungle spitters. And you guys hold back, and uh, you have to like kind of hide in a little area for a while as you see two jungle spitters kind of like hanging out on some of the uh, the branches above you. Uh, they're large, like scary looking, almost dragon like uh, creatures, and uh, you wait for a bit and then eventually they pass and move on uh, to a different location and you're able to continue on your way uh, and eventually you guys see overgrown with some vines and seeming to be uh, a little bit damaged by uh, an impact on the dish is the primary relay for the droids here. Um, as you get a little closer, you see amongst the vines uh, the decayed body uh, partially eaten of a, a jungle spitter that seemed to have just accidentally crashed into this thing. <laughs> Seems a simple enough repair. I'd like to unholster my blaster and take up a watch position. Okay. Uh, and it will be an average mechanics check uh, to repair the sensor array. Also, Oko, just during this trip, managed to see certain rare plants all along the way that have particularly profitable properties that you could possibly harvest at some point. I point these out to Captain Tan along the way. Possibly for a collection on our return. That sounds like a good plan, Oko. Three successes. Okay. It takes you some time. I'm assuming everyone's being pretty quiet, um, but it's pretty hard to be quiet while you work on this relay. So I'm going to need you to just roll for me a quick, easy stealth check, Oko. Just to work diligently, quickly, but also quietly. So as not to draw the attention of any of the wildlife. Two successes with one advantage. Okay. You, uh, you do it fine, and you can recover one of your strain. Uh, with the help of Sucra, it only takes you about 30 to 45 minutes to get this relay operational again, and it, it boots right up. You see that it's receiving, uh, it's being received by what you count to be the, same, the appropriate number of uh, sub-relays scattered around the jungle. This should reinitiate your contact's enterprise here. Is there anything more they required? Well, the other, the secondary condition was that he would, uh, if we could increase the profits here by 20%, then he would be able to um, falsify the records of the spotted ship so it wouldn't be the exhibitor. Okay, thanks for a minute. Uh, and then defers to Captain Tan. I think this could be done, but it would take time. How much time? I think for you to have a game plan on how to increase profit margins on this uh, facility by 20%, you can roll a daunting education check or an average underworld check. I'll attempt to draw on my past with the pirate Umber fleet for underworld knowledge of these materials. Okay. I'm going to help Oko by pointing out um, other things that I saw while we were, while I was chasing pirates. One success with four advantages. According to his logs, he is not producing the most valuable drug he could be. Uh, yeah. You check your memory banks um, and you compare what you, what you have from uh, your time with pirates long ago, years ago, uh, during the very early years of the Clone Wars. And you compare all of that with the notes uh, that... Pep has on uh, what he what he's picking up, and what you realize is he's he's utilizing black market 
channels many of the products that the medical companies are collecting here. Um, however, he has one pretty big oversight, and that is that uh, he's only monitoring what the medical facilities are picking up, and they're not picking up some of this illicit stuff that you saw on the way here. And um, you calculate that if you were to add new protocols to his uh, to his system and identify these other plants and take a little bit of time maybe using his already extensive scans of this area, you might be able to put in some automated, uh, some protocols that allow his station to direct his droids towards these illicit plants that ha- only have use in recreational drugs. And the to calculate exactly a 20% increase... You think to your uh, one of your friends from way back when that you've been in relative contact with recently, a shape-shifting spice mer- merchant by the name of Grawl Gadoran. You already know Grawl's prices at the current moment, and you, you know that if you make basically a shopping list for Pep Dantor's droids, he'll be able to see the profit margin he's aiming for uh, if he gets into contact with Grawl. However, it does mean that you won't be able to collect any of that stuff for yourself. I present this to the crew. Credits do us no good if the Empire knows our serial number. I agree. It's my neck on the line, so of course I'd rather give Pep what he needs. Very well. We will supply the Slicer and Master Forger with access to large amounts of illicit drugs and toxins. Well, when you put it that way, it sounds terrible. I mean, it's not great, says, <laughs> says Sucra. <laughs> Following through with the plan to uh, give, get an influx of illicit drugs uh, that have no medicinal benefits whatsoever for people, we'll provide the two Jedi with one conflict. Oh, I already marked that down. <laughs> <laughs> but it will solve a significant amount of your problems. So you're going to have to make your way back to the main station to punch in all this stuff. Sure. It's going to be really easy once you get there, but you just have to yeah. spend some time doing it. It's not even going to require a roll. But as you guys are, are moving back, Jaxamar and Elkiri, you guys are kind of walking in silence, kind of processing what you're getting ready to do. You know, it's not the, It's not the worst thing you've had to do. Uh, since the Clone Wars. Uh, you guys have had to do a lot of things that you're not proud of. Uh, this one's pretty low on the list of, of guilt. That in itself is upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> and both of you at the same time uh, make eye contact as you hear what, what can only be described as a pulling sound. It is like a high-pitched chime that rings out through the jungle that instinctively pulls you in a direction. You feel a pull through the force. Do you feel that? Yes, I do. I will stop for a moment and just close my eyes and listen. Just try and get a sense of sort of the sounds around me. Uh, you hear you hear the jungle. You hear uh, this pole. Um, go ahead and roll a discipline check for me. We'll call it easy. One success and three advantages. With, with that, you... Uh, you feel, again, the force is pulling you in a specific direction. Uh, you feel as if you are supposed to go towards where you are being pulled. But centering yourself and, and really listening to this kind of what like is like a sound that you're not hearing with your ears. You're more hearing it with your heart. You listen to it. You let it kind of flow into you and pull uh, at you. And uh, you definitely 
simultaneous with this feel of the force guiding you in a direction, you also do sense danger. The full extent of that danger is elusive to you, but you are able to kind of, you realize this isn't assuredly benevolent, but it does feel like the will of the force. Oko and um, Tan, you guys kind of glance behind you and you see several meters behind you, Elkiri and Jaxamar have stopped in their tracks. Is everything all right? Do you require immediate medical attention? There's something here. I pull out my blaster. (laughs) (laughs) I scan. What just life forms everywhere, man. (laughs) Where, Sorrel? What? Where? Point me in a direction. Follow me. And I head off in the direction of the force. I follow him. Uh, Following the pull of the force does not require a check for safety in the jungle. You guys follow this path, climb over the vines around the trees. In fact, there's a moment when you're walking through a path, uh, Jaxamar, where you look to the left and the right, and you see uh, what Oko described to you as jungle stalkers uh, sitting patiently in a line watching you go. Their whiskers um, are long and thick, and just glancing at them, you see just the smallest movement of like blue-ish energy in the whiskers uh, as they just calmly watch their, tw- their twin tails kind of flicking back and forth as they watch you walk down this path. I stop, and as Tan comes up behind me, I just reach out and put a hand on her gun and push it down. Before she steps into this pathway. (laughs) I'll allow it. (laughs) Stay calm. And I step forward. Why? Seeing him step forward, you kind of glance up and you see the, uh, it's uh, six jungle stalkers uh, patiently watching as you guys walk by. Their tails just flicking back and forth. Their whiskers kind of glowing this iridescent bluish color. Oko. Yes, Master Tan. Is there an antidote for these things? Should... They bite us? My database did not indicate they were toxic. Okay, that's good. However, their limbs look incredibly sharp. (laughs) I did notice that. Thank you for pointing that out again. You guys walk by the jungle stalkers, and if you ever glance over your shoulder as you are walking, you see them kind of every once in a while, like, moving calmly and gracefully through the jungle, kind of watching you as you go, occasionally jumping up like on the root of a tree and like posing there watching and then like slinking down into the bushes and then like peering out from somewhere else. During this, while it's happening, uh, Sukra is noticeably confused and nervous and is hugging close to Tan and is like, what is going on? Why are we going? Why are we doing this? You saw those things, the jungle stalkers. It's... I don't know yet, but Sorrel says we need to go, so we need to go. What? I mean, sure, you guys have been together for a while, sure, but, like, what? Uh, what is he going on here? He must have got some intel on the ship before and just realized the significance. I don't know. He studied the map. He, he knows where he's taking us. I will need you to roll an opposed deception check. It is an average check with uh, one challenge die. I'm going to flip a destiny point. That's a wash. (laughs) Okay. Sucra looks at you, uh, like, with the most incredulous look you've seen on his face yet. But, I mean, he's not going to walk the other way and not follow you guys. So he keeps walking and stays close to you. But, like, you see that he, like, you see that disbelief in his his eyes. He is 
he does not buy whatever you're saying. He knows you're hiding something from him, but also he's too busy being afraid that these monsters are going to come eat him. So he's just following right now. Eventually, after walking for about 10 to 15 minutes, you guys uh, feel this pole, both El Kiri and Jaxmar, getting stronger and stronger um, before there is like a satisfying uh, release as you stand staring at uh, a steep rocky hill with thick vines and mud uh, all along its face. What is it? I don't know. And I approach. Uh, Oko? Yes. I've got an important mission for you. Um, could you take Sucra? Um, we need to pick up a couple supplies before we get back to the exhibitor. Absolutely. What do you require? Uh, back on back on the main path, um, you had pointed out to me some plants we could use as supplies. I actually think it's better that, that we split up. I know those forest lurkers uh, were <laughs> nerve-wracking, but I, I think you'll be okay. As you wish. I will take Master Esto. Back to the path. Sucra, is that okay? We could really use your help. I will flip a dark side point as he looks around and goes, no, 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 no <laughs> way. Absolutely not. I, look, I mean, I'm sure you can handle this. You're very intelligent, Oko. If I would trust somebody with my life, it would be you. But at the same time, why split up in the middle of this death jungle? What if something happens to you guys? What's going on here? Uh, meanwhile, Jaxmar, you said uh, you were moving up towards the stony uh, wall of this steep hill. You reach out a hand and like pull back some of the vines, and you see engravings on the stone uh, behind this, uh, behind these muddy vines. Do I recognize them as I pull away more vines? What you find behind there very quickly is that it is a large, ancient stone door. The inscriptions on it seem similar to the Orabesh characters of Galactic Basic, but they're different, and you can't quite read it. It seems like it might be an older tongue. Um, what is that, says Sukra, uh, <laughs> completely distracted from his argument with Tan. Dosh. <laughs> Oko, do you recognize this language? It's not basic. Maybe a precursor? I'm not a protocol droid. Uh, you can roll a daunting education check to see if you can decipher some of the words. But perhaps I'll try. <laughs> one failure, one advantage. You aren't able to decipher what this says. Uh, you guys spend some time clearing it out. Um, this is a large door. It, uh, it's pentagonal in shape uh, with a, a very like tight seam down the, the center. And these uh, strange characters are engraved all around it. And you can't quite make them out, but you are able to get two words from just looking at it and kind of figuring it out. It looks like the letters are a little sw uh, swapped around, but like just through like context and the fact that they don't, it, even with the letters switched around, they don't seem like they could be really any other word. Out on one part of the door, you see what could maybe be a variation of the word Jedi and another word um, hard to say exactly. Uh, it actually is closer to uh, a language unlike basic, um, but you would guess at it possibly meaning either room or vault. As we are clearing away the vines, I'd like to, to get next to Elkiri and whisper as quietly as possible, Elkiri, uh, I know you're focused at the moment, but this is perhaps not something we should share. 
share? Oh, uh... Yeah, you look over and you see Sukra is pulling away vines and rubbing off mud. He's, like, excavating and is like, what is this? I did my best to get him to go with Oko, but he wasn't listening to me. You're a bit more convincing. We don't... He's been forced to do enough. We know that the Hydrian underground was compromised. Do we really want to open ourselves up to being compromised again? Even if he has pure intentions, what if he gets captured? What do you think the, the Empire's going to do with that? Don't you think they'll use anything they can on him to get the information he has? I think they'll do that anyway, regardless of what he knows. Well, and, and what if that information tells them this? I gestured at the wall. I can't make him forget. But you could make him leave. And send him away alone in a no, toxic jungle? No, with, with Oko. Sukra, as you guys have kind of cleared away the door, uh, turns to you, Jack Smart, and goes, how did you know this was here? The force called to me. Wh- huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he looks at you like he's about to laugh, but he sees the sincerity in your voice, and he goes, are you, is this, and he like looks around as if someone's going to be listening in, and he's like, are you a Jedi? <laughs> <laughs> No, of course not. That would be crazy, right? Of course not. Oh, man, I'm in over my head here. Uh, Oko, do you share with the group that, uh, that you were able to decipher two words? <laughs> I could be mistaken, but this word seems similar to Jedi, and this to room, vault. I do hope this is helpful. <laughs> 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 yes, it's very helpful. Can I sense his emotional state right now? Uh, Sucras? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Okay. I may sense the current emotional state of one living target, so I would like to, to do that. It's a weird amalgamation of feelings. There's definitely a strong stream of fear uh, and panic coming from him. A little bit of confusion, and then like there is uh, a, a growing... Uh, presence of understanding and acceptance in him as he kind of like is sitting there processing everything. It's a big rush of a bunch of different feelings. Uh, he definitely, uh, the single word for the emotion that he is having right now is overwhelmed. So as it turns out, Oko's deciphered two words, Jedi and room or vault. We need to explore this. How heavy, keep- how big is this door? You have two options here mm-hmm. uh, to figure out this door. Mm-hmm. One is to roll a hard lore check. Mm-hmm. Um, another is to uh, roll a hard perception check. Uh, and then the final option is to roll an average discipline check to meditate on it and try and connect with the door. Yeah, so I will begin to meditate. So I'm going to plop down in the mud. I'm gonna kneel in front of the door, uh, and I will, uh, and I will begin to focus my mind on opening this big old heavy door. What's that? What's she doing? Uh, as much as I meditate on the ship, that is not my training for this situation. And I fall back on the investigative techniques that my master taught me, and I will attempt the perception check. Okay. Uh, I don't respond to Sukra. <laughs> he, he says, like, what, what's that? What's she doing? And you walk forward and start, like, you're running your hands along the runes, trying to, like, see what there is that uh, you might not normally see. 
So then he just turns to Tan. What, what are they doing? What's going on? Jedi stuff, I guess. I have so many questions. How did they survive the Clone Wars? I mean, I'd, I'd heard of the Jedi before, and he starts just, like, rattling off questions with you. Uh, it turns out that um, that Sukra is a nervous talker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he just he doesn't even give you, like, a chance to answer. He's just, like, throwing questions at you. Tan is not trying to answer. She's just nodding her head annoyedly. Elkiri and Jaxamar, what'd you get? I failed, but generated two advantages. Okay. I will, uh, if this is okay, as I'm investigating and really making no progress, uh, I will start sort of absentmindedly answering Sucre's questions with <laughs> with my advantages and just calm him down. Sure, yeah. As soon as you start giving him answers, like you're like, no, it wasn't like that. It was more like this. And he goes, what, wait, what was it? So like, how did you get away? And blah, blah, blah. And you're like, it's complicated, but the important thing is that, you know, yeah. and he starts like listening to you and, and uh, does calm down a little bit, gets a little less panicked. What you're able to kind of glean from this is that uh, uh, he's not too much younger than any of the rest of you. Um, so he, he has memories of the Jedi being the good guys. Um, and perhaps the, uh, what with his enslavement to the Empire uh, and his experiences there, uh, he may have just the, uh, you know, smallest streak of disbelief in the propaganda push that paints the Jedi as the, uh, the lying manipulators that, uh, Emperor Palpatine says they are. Uh, Elkiri, what'd you get? I succeeded with the triumph. Okay. Elkiri, you're sitting there, uh, meditating on this door. You fall into the training that you've received from Jackson Mar, coupled with your training from, uh, Duto, who always like, helped you center yourself and, and focus, uh, and find like your, your inner balance, uh, that foundation on which, uh, like the core of your being rests, um, which allows you to connect deeper, um, with your, your tasks and goals. And then, uh, from Jaxamar, you've learned, uh, to then build upon that foundation, uh, allowing the influence from the force around you to kind of flow, through you and guide what your task and goals should actually be. Um, and uh, you lose yourself in the moment. The conversation between uh, Jaxamar and Sukra uh, fades away uh, into silence. Uh, the wildlife, the, the teeming wildlife of the jungle fades away. You suddenly don't feel the wet mud by your knees. You don't feel... Uh, even the trappings of your own body, you just f feel the force and silence. And um, to the outside, um, Sukra stops asking questions as he kind of goes, whoa. And uh, Jack Smart, you turn around and Tan and Oko, you see Elkiri is uh, kneeling there uh, on the ground, um, her hair kind of moving with a breeze that none of the rest of you feel. And her lightsaber comes out from inside her boot and floats in front of her and begins to disassemble itself. All of the parts kind of pulling away from each other with ease, um, uh, revealing the glowing uh, yellow kyber crystal in the center, uh, which then removes itself from the lightsaber and floats past you, Jaxamar, towards the door. And you notice something you overlooked was uh, 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 amongst all the characters and designs of this door, uh, at the center of it, there is a circle engraved. And when you look closely watching where the uh, crystal is going, uh, that very tight 
pressed seam in the center of the door has one little crack in it. And the kyber crystal fits perfectly into it. And all of the engravings on the door glow uh, the yellow of Elkiri's lightsaber. And the door <laughs> begins to slide open. And uh, Elkiri, you open your eyes and you see this. And you see your, 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 lightsaber, or your lightsaber handle kind of floating in front of you. And uh, you instinctively pull back your, your crystal, set it in its place, and the lightsaber reassembles itself. And you can grab it with your hand. I do. Uh, as the door opens and Elkiri sort of reassembles her lightsaber and returns to the world, I smile at her. The glimpses at your potential are staggering sometimes. Good work. Shall we? Lead the way. Can we see inside? Uh, the door opens up into a large, dark tunnel. You guys can only see a little bit into it. Uh, you stand up, Elkiri. Sukra is speechless. And you guys look around and you see a semicircle of jungle stalkers watching you. That kind of blue wispy energy moving through their whiskers and their tails kind of like flicking back and forth lazily. And you turn back towards the dark tunnel of this vault, perhaps. And that's where we're in this session. No cliffhanger! This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions, all rights reserved. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or specifically approved by the Walt Disney Company, Lucasfilm Limited, their subsidiaries, or sister companies, or any Star Wars license holder, and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, and all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. Go to the official Star Wars website, www.starwars.com, for more information. The Edge of the Empire... Age of Rebellion, and Forced in Destiny role-playing games are trademarked properties of Fantasy Flight Games Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more information, go to www.fantasyflightgames.com slash en slash Star Wars RPG.